Hey folks, this is Boris Jabez, and you're listening to The Sequel Show. Emily, it's delightful to be here uh, together live. Hey, I feel like we should probably not just introduce you, but you should probably tell people who might not know what, where you work and what, what they do. Yeah, definitely. So I'm Emily. I work at Drizzly. I'm a data engineering manager on our analytics team. For those who don't know about Drizzly, we are an alcohol delivery platform. We were also just acquired by Uber. So we're going to be sort of like rolled into their vertical offerings. So kind of like Uber in Uber Eats, you'll be able to order from Drizzly, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, when I was thinking about our conversation here, I can't resist, right? Like there's, there's so much juicy potential knowledge to be gleaned from working on alcohol delivery and just delivery in general, obviously. And so you were kind enough to find some like answers to some of my burning questions. And, and we figured we'd turn those into a, a bit of a poll. So we, we put these out to the audience here and, and I'll run through some of them over the course of our conversation. These definitely surprised me. So I wonder how much of this is, is intuitive to everyone else or not and how much is peculiar potentially to certain regions. And that'll probably get us into a whole conversation about how to segment your data. But let's start with one poll, the first one, which is like, what was the most popular kind of alcohol that people gifted this year? So I guess there's a lot of gifting on the platform, right? Yes. Lots of gifting. Oh, we, this one looks like this is just the most popular item in general. Oh, this, all right, all right, all right. There's right, another right. question on gifting now. <laughs> all right, fine. This will be only mildly confusing for people only listening. So what was <laughs> the most popular item that people ordered across the platform? So what is the number one alcohol people ordered last year on Drizzly? And so... We gave people four options, and that is Tito's Vodka, La Marca Prosecco, Bud Light, or Josh Sellers Cabernet Sauvignon. And this is, let's see, let's give people a few more minutes. But let me ask you one question about this, Emily, first. When you pulled these, these numbers, these kind of stats up for, for, for today's conversation, were you surprised at the answer or do you think these are kind of permeating the, the, the everybody kind of knows this inside the, the organization? Yeah, I kind of, I knew this one already. I didn't like, I, I checked the data anyway, but like I already knew sure. what the answer was. But when I think about, you know, you're at the center of everything, right? You're at the nexus of data at, at Drizzly. So you, you know, you probably have, you probably have more stats about Drizzly in your brain than you probably even want, right? You probably can't, they probably come by your desk, so to speak, all the time. Is this something that the average person at Drizzly who's outside the data team would also know the answer to? Or is this something probably. that's kind of obscure? They might, I think. Some of these things are are also like fun facts that like kind of go around Drizzly like during onboarding and stuff like that. So most people probably know this one. Got it. So this is more of a, in the fun facts internally, rather than the, the kind of weekly snapshots of data that you send to the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although this might be on a Looker dashboard somewhere. Oh, nice. Nice. Who knows? I don't know all the dashboards that are out there anymore. I gotcha. Well, people guessed Correctly. So the top two answers that people voted on here are vodka and Bud Light. And vodka is indeed the most popular item ordered on Drizzly last year. Yes. Tito's is, has been, honestly, has been the number one item for like years. For years? For years, yeah. Wow. Not That's... sure why, but everyone loves Tito's. <laughs> Do you find that when you as the, you know, the data team at Drizzly answer questions and provide capabilities for people to ask their own questions and get answers, do you find that people just want to know the answer or they look to you for this kind of question of why? Like, you, you know, I feel like those are two different aspects of what people want in data. And I, I'm curious how much of that falls on your shoulders. Yeah, maybe not like me specifically anymore, but I'd say it's like a combination of both probably like depends on the 
the circumstance, but sometimes it's just like, I want to know this number. And then sometimes it goes deeper into like, why, why is this the answer? Right. Yeah. So the, which of course is not always an easy thing to answer. I feel like that's, that's really the, the, the mystical sides of data sometimes is the, you know, you can find correlations all the time, right? But, but causation is just way harder. Well, so why don't you tell me a little bit about how, how did you end up in this role? How did you end up in this career? Yeah, I can give a quick history. So I started my, I guess, like data career in my first internship, really. But as like a full-time job, I started at Wayfair in 2017 as a business analyst. I guess like in college, my studies were kind of like adjacent. So I, I studied information systems, and minored in statistics. So like, I always kind of like the technical aspects of, of like this industry, I guess, and then ended up going to grad school for business analytics. I kind of like knew by the time I had my first couple internships, like I wanted to stay in data, and then just wanted to to do a little bit more with my education. So yeah, went to grad school for that, was working at Wayfair in analytics, but it was more like business analytics. So not really what we think of today as analytics engineering. So it was more, you know, just building Tableau dashboards, writing some SQL. I wasn't really the one coming up with like the data sets to use. Like that was a whole other team. I see. I was interested in that. So I like, kind of started doing more with the BI team at Wayfair, started learning like Git and like doing some code reviews and stuff like that. And just like kind of felt I enjoyed that side of the work a little bit more, like getting more on the technical side of things. And then just throughout my experience at Wayfair, just knew like what I wanted to do wasn't really like valued on my team. So I started looking elsewhere. Eventually came across Drizzly. They, someone reached out to me. I actually had never heard of Drizzly before when they reached out to me, but I talked to the team, talked to the director of the team, talked to some other people at Drizzly. And it just seemed like an awesome place to be. Everyone was super nice. And like, I've had probably the best interview experience I've had at any company. It just felt right, you know. As someone who, you know, spends most of my time interviewing and trying to hire, that's a, that's that's about as great of a review as you can possibly state. Any yeah. tips for people hiring on their data team? Like what made that interview process so great? Yeah, I think so definitely the recruiter who I was working with, his name's David Ventus. He, he's just ama- like an amazing person. He's not at Drizzly anymore, but just like the care and like communication felt very authentic and like, like they actually cared about my experience. Mm. And they're just everyone I talked to, it just felt like everyone really cared about what they were doing and wanted everyone to to have a good experience during like the interview process and stuff like that. So I never, I never felt like, you know, just some person they're talking to. Yeah. Like they actually cared about how I felt about the team. And yeah, it was nice. I think the, the, the best feature of that is you, 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 gen, you generally can't fake that, <laughs> you know, you, you, people can pretty much tell if you're not authentic and caring about what you're doing and, what your team does. So, so I think that probably came through pretty well, but the team, so, you know, the company wasn't as quite, quite as famous back then. And the team you joined, how big was it when you arrived? When I joined the team, I was the second BI analyst. There was one data scientist and one data engineer. So there are three, four of you. Okay. And today, how big is the team? I think we're close to 30 now. All right. Yeah. So I think that to me is like the first interesting theme to, that I wanted to talk to you about is like just kind of how to navigate going from three to 30 in just a couple of years. And so did the organization move around during that time? Like, were you always with the same management or did, was this also, you know, kind of, were you being shuffled around during that time? Yeah. So yeah, just for context, this was 2019 when I joined the team. 
yeah, it's now 2022. So three did grow really fast throughout mostly the past two years. 2020 was definitely the like inflection point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I had the same manager until this year throughout my time on the team. Analytics has stayed relatively consistent, I'd say. Like I think our structure within the team has changed. Obviously, since I joined, like since there was only two of us doing BI, like we had to do everything for the company. Like we had to help with marketing, we had to help with product, we had to help with ops, we had to have our hands in all the different things. And then as we grew, we were able to specialize more. So yeah, I started doing kind of everything and then focused more on product analytics for a while and then focused more on like data infrastructure and data engineering. And that's kind of what I ended up going into. Which is kind Uh, of what you wanted, right? You wanted to go down closer to the kind of platform side of things. Did, Did you experiment with different specializations? Did everyone seem to agree that these were the right ways to, you know, grow the team and have these specializations? Like how should people think about when they hire their fourth, fifth, sixth person, should they get dedicated to something or or how, like maybe you made mistakes along the way. Like how, how should people think about that? Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, it was more our like director's decision on some of the, the headcount stuff, but I think the first like specialization that we broke out on its own was marketing. And then I think the other one was our, we have a team called strategic partnerships. Mm -hmm. Drizzly partners a lot with like alcohol brands like Tito's, Anheuser-Busch, like Diageo, a lot of these really big names, you know, they want the data we have about their customers and who's buying their products. So you know, that generates a lot of revenue for us. And it made sense to dedicate like resources to, to helping them out. Cause they, they, they basically get dashboards with different data that they're interested in about their, their brands or company as a whole, like market share, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had some analysts focused on, you know, just supporting their asks and things like that because they were important to our business and it made sense. Right. Um, so I think right. that's what the first the first need came out of just like we're getting these like partners are really important to our business like we're going to dedicate analytics resources to them. Yeah. Well, I guess because otherwise they would probably seek out their own, right? So better better to to be the provider. How do you do you remember how your team was able to carve off a specialization or a focus in platform because in my mind, and I don't know if this this tracks. Everybody always wants to work on those kinds of things, and 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 the business or the stakeholders are always like, "No, nah, I need a marketing analyst. I need a stakeholder. I need a partner analyst. I, I just just give me the analyses." And I'm sure a lot of people struggle with how do I get headcount or dedication around working on the core systems. Mm-hmm. So how did you how did you all do that? Yeah. Definitely for a while I was I was doing multiple things like not just platform like I would do the time I had available I would do like platform stuff and then have to help out with with other things that came up around like product analytics or kind of like other places that needed sure. support. It wasn't until maybe like last year the year before I think my title like fully became data platform lead and we had another data engineer at the time Dennis Hume who maybe is here I don't know if he's here but he helped I think he was a huge help in like getting the resources we needed to focus on the data platform with just like how we were able to communicate the value of what a good data platform looks like and how it was able to yeah. accelerate the work of the rest of the analytics team. And then our director as well, Ian McComber, he he was also like a big help from getting support on the like executive level of like, this is important. And they had a lot of trust in him and in us that we like knew that 
yeah. that was the right decision to make. It does. It does feel like always the default, the correct answer for all these things is, you know, if you have great people at all levels, you know, great decisions get made. And I can't argue against that. Is there any, anything you remember if people were trying to do this themselves and they were, you know, struggling to get, let's say the executive buy-in for, for that investment, do you remember how they framed it or how you framed it? Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of trust off the bat. Like I remember when we were trying to move from Redshift to Snowflake kind of Mm -hmm. really early on, Ian kind of brought this to our CFO and CEO and was like, gonna have this whole sort of like presentation of like, this is why we need to make this change. And they're just like, do you think this is what we need to do? Yep. Okay. We trust you. Like go do it. (laughs) So I think we're really lucky there that like, we had that trust from the beginning. Right. So there wasn't really too much hard convincing we had to do on a lot of this stuff. I mean, I think this is the job of every employee, whether you're a manager or an IC, right? Is to build trust so that you can go make decisions quickly. Because if everything has to be justified every time, then you, you can't move very fast. Yeah. Do, do you remember that journey for you? Like, how did how did you kind of be... How were you handed a larger and larger slice of the, the, you know, the drizzly data pie? Yeah, it definitely helped that I was on the team early on because I was able to take on these really cool projects that like, you know, no one had really done before or at, or looked at as deeply around some of our data and like how it was impacting the business. So I think the fact that I was one able to like do that really important analysis early on and like show the value to the rest of the company and also like have it implemented as goals. And then like we reached those goals, people saw like, okay, yes, like we are improving because we're like doing X, Y, Z that this sort of like that the data showed was important was I was able to, I think, build a lot of trust there just around like the quality of the work that I was showing. Yeah. Well, it also seems like if I imagine in an organization, in most data organizations, you're constantly under a barrage of requests. And so it's extra hard to go take initiative on a new thing, right? But I guess I I would probably agree that that gets rewarded with, you know, I, I identified an opportunity area and proved it versus we're just doing what people ask us to do all day, every day, right? Mm-hmm. And that probably goes a long way for anyone listening to, to, to develop clout and trust in an organization. All right, let me pause for another good poll here. So uh, let's get back to the one that we thought we were going to do at the beginning, which is the gifting. So what? So, so there, we know that Tito's Vodka is the most popular item ordered on Drizzly, but gifting is a huge part of the platform, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you told me it's it's it may represent like maybe the largest chunk of of the usage. I'm not even sure. It's, but... a, it's not the largest okay. chunk of usage, but it's something we're focusing on growing. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, I guess that because it has a certain virality to it. I, I guess. So, what was the most popular kind of alcohol that people gifted rather than ordered? And so the options are beer, champagne, red wine, and vodka. <laughs> and people have already voted, but. It's it's very clear. I'm learning something right here in a poll, which I think this is an interesting factoid, Emily. I don't know about you, but you can you can learn about people by what they're guessing. And so people, I mean, people are still voting, but by and large, it feels like to me, people, no one believes that beer is something that people gift. Whether or not that's 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 true is is a different question. But people definitely don't believe it is. So all right. It looks like people dominant think it's red wine, but it's this is tight. So people definitely think it's red wine, maybe champagne, maybe vodka, but red wine's ahead. And the actual answer, which I'm going to reveal here, is of course the most famous, I think, alcoholic gift of all, which is champagne. Yes, champagne. Specifically, so my, yeah. specifically, ah, yes, Vivkiko. Yes, it's definitely one of the probably top three brands. Marketing matters, it turns out, in alcohol. (laughs) Well, here's my question for you on this. Since people are pretty divided on this poll, I think we're we're seeing a split of like 40, 30, 20%, right? So people, the only consensus is that people don't think 
beer is popular to gift. Is it actually spread out like that on the Drizzly side or is it really dominated by champagne? The top three items, I think, were all champagne. Wow. Beneath that, I think the next one might have been like tequila. All right. But I... I'm not, I don't remember 100%. Sure, sure, sure. I think it was tequila, though, was the was after champagne. But that says a lot, that number one, number two, and number three on the gifts are all champagne. That's, yeah. that's, that says that, you know, if you, if you want to not screw up, you should probably gift champagne. But if you want to be an original, <laughs> definitely don't do champagne. <laughs> so it's up to you as, a, as, as someone who's creating, like, gifting. I think, I'm embarrassed to say that I was unoriginal. And I think the last time I gifted alcohol and drizzly, it was champagne. <laughs> I mean, you can't really go wrong. I mean, this is always the issue, right? It's like, you can't go wrong. So that's why certain, certain kinds of trends are very sticky because you, know, you don't want to go against the grain. But think about what you said earlier, right? Like that the way, I think in an organization of any size, I think the people who most quickly are able to develop high amounts of trust, like more trust than the average person is because they go against the grain and are correct, which you can never know ahead of time, right? But it's, it's like, if you have a hunch and it turns out to be true and people didn't expect it, I think the, the gains are, are, are really significant in your kind of within an organization. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, so I'm, I'm curious when, what was the, what was the turning point for you becoming a manager? Was it just this team got a certain size or was it you set out to do that as, you know, kind of your career and your, your kind of your boss like made that happen or how did you get to this? Yeah, I've always had that dilemma. I think of like, do I want to be a manager or do I want to just continue like being more technical? Sure. Now it's something I, I still, and figuring out, I think, but it was a good time, I think, for me to try management. Okay. Because yeah, our team was growing and I was able to actually someone from part of the analytics engineering team transferred to my team under data platform to like because they're interested in developing in like data engineering. Mm-hmm. So they're my first they were my first report as a on the data platform team so i'm yeah basically was that a tryout or was it formally you know you 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 know the organization said you know emily is now managing this this part of the org yes exactly yeah so i was promoted to data engineering manager um the beginning of the year this transfer only happened like a month ago so it's still really new but yeah, so I'm like onboarding, onboarding. I mean, it's nice because they're already they've already been at Drizzly, so it's not like sure. I onboard them to Drizzly, but onboard them to to the data platform team and kind of more like helping them grow into the data engineering skill set from just doing like analytics engineering before. Um, so like the foundation's definitely there. So it's kind of like I think it's a good good way to like ease into management. Sure. Yeah. Starting small. See if I like it. I mean, it's been great so far. All right. Well, what's, what's something that's kind of surprised you and how you like it so far? I think like the, the like mentorship and like teaching aspect, I really enjoy just like helping, helping people like learn new skills and just like gain that confidence and like, Hey, you can like, you can do this. Like, here's a, here's a problem to solve. Like, I'll be there to support you if you need it. But like, I believe in you. <laughs> you <can do> it. <laughs> I mean, of course, seeing, watching people succeed is, is always, I think, delightful as a, as a manager. You specialized early on, right? You have a graduate degree, like you said, right? In business analytics. So that you didn't just stumble into this, this field in this career. Do you find that the ICs that now work for you or that you watch on your team or that you coach, do they have the right roadmap for how to build their skills or, or does school do the right thing for them? Or do you have to really fill in you know, the blanks based on your mm-hmm. experience? Most people on the team have like been in analytics previously. So I don't think we have anyone on the team actually right now 
that like came right out of school. So most people had experience in some analytics job before this, I guess from the apart from we have some interns sure. on the team now. But, but even like, if they have the analytics job, like what if if I were, you know, trying to be a star on your team, what would I what should I be investing in? What should I be spending my time on? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say now because we have s- different sub teams. So like we have a team, an analytics engineering team that just focuses on like our marketing data, one that just focuses on like our operations data. So like our sales team, account management team, product analytics, and then strategic partnerships. Sure, so I'd, sure. I'd say it varies by team, like what is actually ah. most important to, to like specialize in or to like get noticed from. I gotcha. Do you think... Do you think that means most people already have the right baselines and statistics in kind of, you know, basic analysis tooling? Or, or you know, is that what differentiates someone who's great? I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, you know, let's even pick one, right? Like, say it's like, take someone who's on your stakeholder analytics team and let's not put them, you know, let's not name them. <laughs> what, what, would, what would make them from, go from good to great? You know, since in some ways we just identified that's your job, right? Is to help them get to that. Yeah. I think for analytics, the analytics team, like analytics engineering teams specifically, like Drizzly doesn't have like business analysts. So like our team kind of has to do a much wider range of things, like all the way from DBT work to like, looker and like communicating Mm -hmm. results and like analysis I think I mean what worked for me I think was being able to communicate my like recommendations really clearly to the business in a way that allowed them to like adopt those recommendations and like try them out I think that's probably still the most one of the most important skills is communicating your analysis and your recommendations Okay. to the business in a way that, you know, makes it understandable and like actually say like, this is how we can like implement this and, mm-hmm. and see the results. Okay. I think this is interesting. So you, <clears throat> I'm learning two things here, right? One is still at Drizzly from when you started to now, you, you your analysts are really actually full stack analysts. They have to go all yeah. the way down into the kind of nitty gritty of implementing DBT models all the way up to presenting information to stakeholders and helping them make decisions. Yeah. Those are not two separate roles. Yeah. And and thus uh, the eternal the, the eternal thing that demarcates a good to great analytics person is their ability to persuade. Is that is that fair to say? I mean, that's just from what I've seen. I think it depends like what that what the person's interested in like I also found success just being becoming like an expert in some of our technology that we use, like DBT or Snowflake, like becoming an expert more on the like tech side, I think is also helpful. Because like, for example, if you become like super comfortable with like DBT and you find a way to speed up. I don't know, like a model that's taking an hour and then you mm-hmm. you, fix, you do some optimization and now it takes like less than a minute. Like that's going to be a huge like thing you can point to. I think you can do stuff like that, but there's still the communication piece of like, I did this thing and these, this is what I improved. And these are mm-hmm. like the implications of like that. Because if yeah. you do something cool, but don't tell anybody, you know, like, Nothing's going to happen. That's right, kids. If you do something cool and don't tell anybody, it doesn't. Well, but I think, you know, as you went from three to 30 people, right? How much of the work is this kind of optimization work? Which I agree is important, right? Taking something that takes an hour and making it run in a minute can have tremendous impact. Or it could have none, to be fair. I have seen places where you could spend all your time optimizing something that has, is just a waste of time. Versus you know, answering net new questions, drawing a net new, like you said, a totally new dashboard or a new, you know, team question. Has the mix of that changed from when you started? And and 
if I were running a team and it was three people, 10 people, 30 people, do you think I should have a different mix of how much I spend optimizing versus building new? Hmm. Yeah, definitely. When we were smaller, it was more like we were building a lot of new things, like a lot of new DBT models and stuff like that of like Mm -hmm. things we just didn't have reporting on before, especially around our our like event stream data, like our click stream data. That was at least a big part of my role at first was like building out a lot of those models so we could track all of our event data. And then once people like joined the team, they were able to more like zoom in on that and be like, okay, like for example, AB testing, we have all the data for it, but it's a very manual process to check the results of a test because we have to like go in and write all these queries against all these models to find the answers. Like I'm going to automate this. So the PMs have a dashboard that Mm -hmm. just like updates with results. So like we sort of, I think when it was smaller, we were setting a lot of the foundation and now people are more like building on top of that foundation and like making things just more automated or quicker or, you know, yeah, things like that. I think just like quality of life improvements. Well, I think you have not only, it's interesting. I think not only has your team grown, right? But obviously com- proportionally, the number of people who want to use your output has grown, right? I assume if yeah. the team went from three to 30, the overall size of Drizzly increased by some yeah. similar amount. And so I could see how making things go faster, making things easier to self-serve, making it possible for a PM to, to not have to email you four times to get some kind of A-B test result becomes much more important, right? And so I think the subtlety that I'm curious, and maybe you, you could say, hey, you could go back in time, you would do things at a different point. What's a process or a tool you're using today that you rely on today at 30 people at this stage where some of these things you didn't need to do before, but that where you can't believe you didn't do it sooner? Like, you, you, you know, you're kicking yourself. Like, I wish I was doing this when we were three or five. It's mm, a good question. I don't know. Okay. I feel like we we started off pretty from a pretty like blank slate at the beginning. So like we kind of made our dream like stack data stack. And like, I mean, we didn't have, you know, at first we didn't have anything in Git. Like there was no version control. There was no like code reviews. Like we all at, we added all that in pretty early on. And I know stuff like that, a lot of teams like maybe wish they added sooner because it, it just like, helps improve a lot of the quality and like cross communication between the team to know what what's going on like share share sql share knowledge like i think we we're i feel like we did pretty good about like foreseeing a lot of that stuff pretty early on and and added it in what about organizationally? Like, so I, yeah. I, I, I can see that you, you, I think you're probably right. I think you early on guessed the quote unquote correct data stack that would scale with you, which is, you know, congrats. But, you know, obviously you must be managing your people who work for you now, right? You must manage their quarter like objectives or whatever. So you must have some process for managing them that probably didn't exist when you were just three, right? Is there anything organizationally that you'd wished you, you'd set up earlier? Hmm. Or does it feel like a hassle right now? Yeah, I think maybe one thing that we've definitely improved on in the past like couple months is like our prioritization and like how we plan work and how we communicate that out to the rest of the company of like what we're actually doing. And I think a lot of that is because we hired we hired a TPM for the for the data team. Well, he was originally just for marketing analytics, but now he kind of is for all of us. Okay. <laughs> but I think that was a huge game changer. I wish, I guess I wish we hired him sooner for sure. Like Amazing. that's been, that's been a huge help of like, cause before we were basically our own PMs also, and now we have someone to really help us and make sure we're doing things the right way. And, you know, have our JIRA boards with all the like, reporting around like 
what we're doing each sprint and like we're getting more into the weeds of like all the agile stuff. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who started their career as a PM, it's, I'll take the plug. I, I think <laughs> that's probably essential as you get to this size. Yeah. 30, 30 people kind of running around doing things almost screams you should have at least one, if not multiple yeah. PM like roles to to just orchestrate, communicate, and make every, you know everyone in the company aware. Well, actually, given that, how how has kind of the more day to day data sharing process changed as you've grown? Like, has it always been just dashboards and Looker? Has it been meetings? How is it changing now that there's if there's thirty of you? I don't know how many sequels are there. How big is Drizzly overall? Without including Uber for a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's see. <laughs> I think we are like almost 400. Let me see. I can see in our like announcement Slack channel. Yeah, like 380. Right. So so almost 400. So how have you evolved kind of the way data is being shared from your team out or vice versa? How do you gather requirements? The main place is still definitely Looker. That's where we expose, you know, all of all of the data to the company. Definitely some people have direct access to Snowflake, more on like people who are comfortable with SQL, which isn't the majority of Drizzly, but like the people who are and want to just write their own queries, like they can do that in Snowflake. Mm-hmm. But majority of people, Looker is their main portal to how do to they learn that. Now that it's so much bigger, right? There's people probably joining, like you said, daily or weekly that you 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 so outside of your purview that you have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. How and everyone I assume is is in some form informed, should be informed or driven by data at Drizzly. I'm I'm sure of it. So mm-hmm. how do they even discover what they should be looking at, where they should, you know, what what specifics, what things mean? Yeah, yeah. Do you have to That's do monthly something. monthly sessions where you re re reteach everybody in the company like here's yeah. Here's what things are. That's something I think we're still improving on. We, so as a company, we have like LinkedIn learning, like membership. So we have some trainings, like on my team, we, you know, recorded like a looker onboarding training and like people who join Drizzly, like can watch the the training. And there's some kind of like hands-on examples of how to, how to look at, are like most important dashboards, you know, like we have like a company like OKR dashboard, for example, and like everyone should know how to read that dashboard and know what our like metrics are and how we're tracking against them Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So those things we try to communicate as early as possible. So like during onboarding and people who want to get more technical within Looker. I mean, I've seen people take that initiative themselves but I think as the data team, we're also, we want people to have like that curiosity and like want people to be excited about finding data. So we try to put out like resources as much as we can, like run, like you said, maybe some like one-off trainings if people want them. But I think we're still trying to figure out, I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out like the best, totally. best way totally. to do that. Here's my idea. You should drop Easter eggs in in inside various places in Looker so that you encourage spelunking. And if people mm-hmm. find the Easter egg, they get like rewarded. So like maybe it's a fun fact. Yeah. Like for example, this one, I think this one is people are also very this this poll came out interesting. So we asked, or I asked you, like, what is the most popular time to place an order on Drizzly, right? So time of day or time of the week. And so I'm, I'm I'm somewhat happy that no one assumes Monday at 3 p.m. is popular, but I thought the other three were all, you know, kind of equally likely. You know, we had Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 11 a.m., and Fridays at 5 p.m. So no one voted for Monday at 3 p.m., and basically no one voted for Sundays at 11 a.m., which I think is interesting. So Sundays, people don't assume Sundays is a drinking day. But we have a lot of votes. We're basically split, it feels like, between Saturdays at noon and Fridays at five. So I'm going to guess like this is the d- eternal debate of like, you know, Friday post-work drinks versus Saturday brunch. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see. All right. So people are leaning towards Friday, which correct me if I'm wrong, Emily, that is the correct answer, right? 
that, Friday that at is five? the correct answer, yeah. Friday at five. And again, okay, so here's my question. So is this also, to your knowledge, similar to what people think where it's a little bit split? Like Saturdays at noon is actually a pretty popular time as well? I'd have to look again, but I don't know. I, if I had to guess off the top of my head, I probably would have guessed like either one of those. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I actually don't remember what what the like split was when I, I looked it up. But how often Fridays do you think- was definitely yeah. like you could tell really easily like the spike was sure was way above everything else. Sure, sure, sure. It's it's, it's interesting to me sometimes how. How often do you think, like, you know, we'll go do all this research, we'll go to this first principles data research that's like expensive, gathering the data, analyzing the data, making sure it's statistically significant, and it arrives at like every human's intuition? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, this is one of those things where you never want to stereotype. But of course, like, one of the reasons stereotypes have emerged out of thousands of years of human history is that, like, ah, sometimes it's like, collides, which is, is an unfortunate thing where it's like, oh, but we should still do the work to gain confidence and trust. But, but you know, you're going to get these, these situations, I feel like, yeah. but at least I'm it's surprised. five o'clock somewhere at all times. So maybe Friday is yeah. just the busiest day overall, right? Yeah. Also, like, I am surprised no one thought about Sundays. I, like, I would have, I would have guessed Sundays Sunday, for Sunday, sure. You know? Yeah. Brun- I think about brunch on Sundays. M- yeah, me too. I'm I'm surprised Saturday is is far more dominant in terms of the poll. This is why our last one will be excellent because like it looks like everyone's tied on our final poll, which will be great, and then that'll be a fun topic. Well, okay, let me. You alluded to it at the beginning, and you've definitely said that there's transitions occurring at Drizzly in terms of you know how it's going to as a product experience going to kind of integrate with the larger Uber offering. But what was the acquisition like for your team specifically? Just even the process of it, were you involved? You know, did the data team have to, I don't know, provide like some support as part of the the acquisition? You know, what was that like? Yeah, I think we, we definitely had a part in the acquisition around like supplying a lot of the data. Prior to the acquisition. Yeah, like the whole... You know, so like for those who haven't gone through an acquisition, like it's a huge process, especially with like the FTC and like government involvement. So like they obviously want to make sure it's not, I don't even know, like anti-competitive mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we definitely had to supply a lot of data before anything was finalized to the FTC and stuff like that, which... Yeah, anyone what's, who's gone through what's that stakeholder like has, versus having like the marketing team as a stakeholder. What's it like having the uh, government agency as a stakeholder or the data team? I personally didn't have to pull the data. It was definitely like hush hush at the time. So like, I think it was just our director who was who was doing it. He was were the you one aware? I was involved. I was like adjacently aware. Okay, but I wasn't like in the room. But yeah, I, it was like I think it was some. I don't even know. I don't even remember what they asked for, but it was just, it was kind of just like, we need, we need this, pull this for us, <laughs> send it to us by like end of day. Right. I assume the deadlines are, are terrible because yeah. they're from outside, right? So they have no context of like your day job and what, what has to be supplanted. Yeah. Um, was it so, stressful for your stakeholders inside the company who didn't really understand why maybe you were, everything was going slower? <laughs> I don't know if they really like, knew or could tell okay so you kept the trains running yeah but once so once the acquisition actually happened not much actually changed for our team you know we are still independent so we're like a subsidiary so like we still have our own systems our own our own data stack everything still runs independently now i think we're starting to get a little more like cross collaboration with like sharing data and stuff like that. So you have now like a counterpart within the Uber data teams? Somewhat. I mean, obviously they're massive and it's like hard to find who exactly your counterparts are. (laughs) Wow. But we have, I think, a core team of people we've been working with and sharing. Like I, I was able to like, you know, set up some specific like data sharing in Snowflake and stuff like that. So well, that's an interesting way to do it, right? Yeah. So so they have their snowflake, you have yours, but you you could now connect just by using data sharing basically within 
the two can, companies. Yeah, that's, like that's I just set up like a little section in Snowflake for them. And, and they can like, just do whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah. And that's then kinda it's nice. kind of similar on their side too, where we have kind of like special accounts where we can like access some of their tools. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Well, let me ask you this last question. Is there some tool technique process from Uber that that you discovered through this that that's really helped your team? Not yet, but I think it will more so probably on like data science, I think. And there might be like cooler stuff for them to use. Like I know Uber has a lot of like really cool data science tooling and like machine learning, which I don't think we've had too much access to as of yet, but I can see that being pretty cool once Gotcha. Once we get more integrated there. <laughs> well, Emily, thank you. Let's do the final poll. And then there's a ton of questions from the audience. So, so we're not done here. Uh, final poll was, what day did Drizzly receive the most orders in 2021? So which day of the year? And here, the audience is totally split. So there's 4th of July, there's Thanksgiving, there's Christmas, and there's New Year's Eve. And Basically, it looks like people voted across the board when... What is the correct answer, Emily? New Year's Eve. And is it dominant? Yes. That is our always our biggest, biggest night. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. New Year's Eve, folks. Okay. Well, Emily, there we got a ton of audience questions here. So I'm going to ask you a couple uh, until, until we get booed off the stage. The most voted question was from Kat Hong, which is to you, like, what does data quality mean how much does the quality of your data matter in your pipelines? So, mm, Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's definitely important. Sometimes you can't really control the data quality as a data team because like you're pulling from all these different sources. Like, I mean, I can't control what comes through like the Salesforce API as much as I wish I could. And then even things like internally from like MySQL, like our MySQL database, like, you know, we can't always control what's what the engineers have set up to go into like our core like transaction tables and stuff like that. So it definitely is important. You as a data team, you can't always control it. But that's I think what we strive to like improve at least in the data warehouse, like in Snowflake and DBT, like that's where we can clean the data and like make it sort of what we wish it came in as. Yeah. And then same thing with our like clickstream data, like event data in general is known for just being, I think, very messy. Yeah. So I think that's, what I'm hearing, and I, yeah. I think this is important and valid, is like there's data quality from a, you know, is it even in the right shape? Is it, can I even use it? Versus I think later on you end up in the like, is it semantically valid? Am I answering the question correctly? Which I think is like downstream quality. But people forget that like the initial just cleaning up your data is so essential, right? Yeah, I guess that's uh, where my mind goes as like someone right? who's that's... working on like the pipelines to bring data in. Yeah. All right. We get a question from Amy Shapiro. Tools have been helpful for your team to get the non-technical folks more data literate, able to kind of self-serve. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess like just looker, like looker trainings. That's the like only the like... These are videos that you prepare for people? Cool. We have some training videos. We have some documentation. We'll also do like some live trainings here and there. That's good. Yeah. Okay, well, that's great. All right, we have a question from Han. How do you prioritize your analysis versus en and engineering tasks in Jira? So what's your magical PM process? Well, all of our teams have separate Jira boards. So like okay. my Jira board is separate from like marketing analytics. They have their own board. Like every sub team has their own board. So, you know, all my tasks are engineering. The other teams have are mostly analysis. I guess they're like pretty separate. Gotcha. And then does... and. I'll follow up on that because we got the uh, kind of a related question from uh, Stephen Ebery, which is, do you do you use sprints or some kind of agile process to within those teams and do different teams do different things or is it kind of one process? We're pretty much all on sprints. We do like two week sprints. Okay. I think we we definitely use agile, but I'd say we're not like 
to the letter of like nobody this is. is agile. That's the, like, that's the secret, Emily. Nobody nobody is actually to the letter of agile yeah. anywhere we, in the world. We make it work for us. We're not like super strict about it. We're not zealous <laughs> about it. I understand. I understand. I, I, I have yet to uncover anyone who is truly quote unquote doing it perfectly right. So so I think that's a it's just a myth. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, listen. Oh, I guess there's one last one that we can try to fit it in if you want, which is, let's see, how is the data org structured? So we talked a little bit about it earlier, but specifically, do the data engineers and data analysts have shared responsibilities or do they have completely separate responsibilities? Yeah. So, I mean, my team is data platform, data engineering, and then there's data science. They are focused, like similar to analytics engineering, like they have different verticals that they focus on. So there's like data scientists for specifically like for marketing, for ops, for strategic partners, same thing as analytics, engineering. So that's sort of how we have it broken out. What's the next part of the question? So yeah, I'd say like responsibilities are mostly separate. I mean, we all work in the same tools. My job is more like making sure their jobs are better and easier, like using our tools and our stack. So I definitely like, work with them but like i'm they're not really the ones that have to like you know debug the tools add you know add ci cd to like our repos like that's more my team i mean people can do it if they're interested in it but (laughs) (laughs) they can take initiative i understand well listen emily this was a really really delightful conversation for me thank you for uh for for doing this with us there's a lot more talks today so people can learn a lot of similar and better and different and more varied topics and yeah i think if i'm going to take away one thing is you know people should take initiative in all situations uh, and, and that you know that can lead to great success yeah thanks for having me Well, folks, until next time, this is The Sequel Show. Special thanks to Joe Stevens for our theme song. And thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the show. If you haven't already, subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts to get notified for future episodes.